At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune into our current series, Assembly Required, Building a Case for Church, where we'll see what the Psalms teach us about a life of faith lived in community. Amen. Thank you for singing with us, church family. God is working in the midst of your mystery. I don't know what mystery you're going through. I know a little bit of what some of you are going through. Thanks for sharing that with me so we can pray for you. Can I just, can I just make sure you all know that many people in our midst this morning are going through some mystery? I don't know how it's going to work out. Um, physically, humanly, it looks really rough. Um, but that's why we gather together to get a divine perspective on these things, to know that, hey, it's not us fighting the battle. It's, it's, it's not my intellect, and it's not my pocketbook, and it's not my giftings. That's not what goes and get us through. It's, it's, it's our God in heaven who rules and who reigns over everything. So pray for each other. Pray that, it, that we won't maintain this vision just here, but we'll take that through the dark times of the week too. So let's keep praying for each other. A few things I want to mention before we dive into the word, which if you want to turn to Psalm 51, you can certainly do that now. Uh, but don't miss what I'm going to say. I want to say to the kids, I'm really glad you're here. I know we don't have Woodside Kids program going on right now, and I know this is a lot different, maybe not as fun, but it's fun for us to have you here. Uh, so you guys have been so well behaved. You guys have been doing great. The little sounds that we hear is awesome. We don't mind that at all. So thank you so much for being here. Hopefully you got your coloring cards and your older kids, Ren and others. You can fill in the blanks as we go through as long as I can keep track of what the blanks are supposed to be. All right, so if I do my part, you'll be able to do your part. Uh, so thanks, kids, for being here. also wanted to say to the students... Wow, way to go. Um, okay, before I say church family, let's give them a hand. Before I say that, wait, wait, before I say that, I want to also include in that the Chalufos and Joe and your leadership and, and the Cooks and your leadership of that too. I want to include in that Kathy Doan because she was a part of this. As you drive through town, you'll see some light posts that now are not just that beautiful construction yellow. Now they are Algonac alive. They are f flowing with fish and freighters and other beautiful things. So thank you for that. They worked really hard and I think we should thank them. Church family, let's thank those guys for doing that. It's awesome. It's really good. Uh, Keith, let's show that video one more time. As we dismiss, some of you um, you were still gabbing out outside, didn't get to see that video celebration of that. So we'll, we'll play that for you. Not now, Keith. Not now. Okay, okay. After service, after we're done. If, if those of you that wondered why Keith Griffith doesn't come to church anymore, he does. He's stuck back here. All right, just, just, just so you know. All right, Psalm 51. Hopefully you're there. You're there. Uh, the book of Psalms is really an ancient book of prayers and psalms. Many of them intended to be said or sung in community. Right? You'll see some of the psalms are very personal, and, but even those were sung together as a community of faith. And, and there's great 
reinforcement of this idea that the New Testament makes loud and clear as the author of Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. The book of Psalms reinforces that idea that assembly, as we've named our, our, our series, assembly is required. That's what God expects in the Christian experience as a person of faith and belief in the one true God. And I know that COVID has made it an extra challenge for us to remain committed to that. And I'm so glad we have electronic means that our, our folks that can't be here because of this season, they can still assemble together with us electronically. Um, but we hope that as we look at this, we will be reminded of more and more reasons why we assemble together. I'm glad we can have this space here. You know, most of you, some of you that are here um, just for maybe the first time or the first time or just a few times. This isn't our normal space. Typically, we meet at the school auditorium um, with more people uh, in, in that auditorium, but schools aren't open. Um, so, and anyway, we have no idea if they will be um, for uses like ours. Um, so the Doc 421s graciously allowed us to meet here. But we're praying for some other opportunities that God's given to us. And I just want, I'm not going to give you any details. Some of you know some of them, but I just don't want to get anybody's hopes up. Can I just ask you to pray that God would provide and he would make a way for us to have a permanent location uh, for our campus? I think that would just be a, a wonderful way to continue to expand the ministry that God has called us to do. So if, if we can get this many people praying for that, even some of the meetings that we have these next couple weeks, wow, I, I get all giddy about that. So, so I ask you to do that. So Psalm 51 reveals one of these important practices that we do when we gather together, and that is under this idea of the confession of sins. Now, depending on your church background, that might bring up some various pictures, but let's, let's make sure that we uh, create the picture in our mind based on God's word, of this value of the confession of sins. Have you ever found yourself in that awkward position of trying to forgive someone who wasn't sorry for what they've done? Have you ever had to wrestle through that? That someone, when someone hurt you deeply, but you embrace that principle and that command, really, that, that Paul gives us in Ephesians 4 that says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. And so you embrace that and you, you pursued forgiveness, but it was so difficult because the person never admitted they were wrong. That's a hard thing to do. It's not an emotional small step. It's a step of the will. In most times, when that's, tr that's the situation, the Spirit of God will give you forgiveness so you stop making them pay Right, So you've, God's given you victory over that, so you've stepped away from that place of, I'm going to make you pay, I'm hurting, so you, I'm going to make you hurt. You stepped away from that and giving that to God, and yet the relationship's not restored. And you realize that it can't because there has been no admission of wrong. 
that really gives us a kind of a shadow or a picture of a, of a relationship between God and people. That God is a forgiving God full of mercy and grace. And there's a longing in the human heart to have a relationship with our creator. But without that acknowledgement of sin, that relationship cannot be, cannot be sealed. That confession of sin is required for us to have that intimacy that our human heart desires. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Out of Psalm 51, we're going to see our big idea this morning is that cleansing and joy comes through confession. A lot of times we think of confession and we think of, oh yeah, that's when we feel so bad and so dirty. We confess and, well, maybe that's part of the journey, but the result of that is joy. The result is cleansing and it's renewal and it's restoration. But that's what we see in Psalm 51. So if you're there, maybe you notice before, before the psalm even begins in verse 1, historians have added a superscription to that to give us a little bit of historical context from what this, this poem comes from. And it says this, maybe it says this in your Bible, it says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. This is a story recorded in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. David and Bathsheba. How many know that story? Can I see your hand? Okay. Maybe 60% of us. Let me give you the snapshot. All right. David was the king. Some would say the greatest king of Israel. And he was in a season where it was time for him to defend and expand his kingdom. And he decided just to send his soldiers and he would stay back home. And one evening, while the soldiers were out doing his job, he was standing on his balcony, he looked down, and he saw across in the neighbor's property, Bathsheba bathing herself. And this, the Bible says that he lusted after her, and even though she was the wife of one of his soldiers, he sent for her, she came to his palace, he slept with her, she became pregnant. And to cover up for his sins, he arranged to have her husband killed in battle. And as 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 27 says this, And when she had finished mourning her husband, David sent and brought her to his house. She became his wife, bore him a son. It doesn't say it, but it's kind of like, and nobody knew the better except for those handful of people that were sworn to secrecy. But the verse continues and says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So David received a visit from God's prophet Nathan, who was sent by God to confront him in his sin. And as the story goes, David, it says, was cut to the heart. He was hurt deeply by the words of Nathan. He confessed his sin and experienced forgiveness and experienced the consequence for what God had promised. And, and Psalm 51 is David's response. After that journey, he pens this poem, giving us a picture of that journey of being convicted 
of confessing and being restored in his relationship to God. And, and there's great things we can learn. We will learn that con- cleansing and joy come through confession. So let's read it. I'd like to break it up into three parts and talk about each part. So first of all, in this first part of this poem, we see that we must know and own our sin. If we want to experience that joy and cleansing, it begins by knowing and owning our failures, our sin. Let's read. It says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and have done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you teach me truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Let's pause right there and let's talk about that. He begins by saying, have mercy on me, O God. Cleanse me, wash me. Why? Verse three says, for I know my transgressions. So that transgressions, he also calls it my sin. Next verse calls it, it's evil. All words to describe the brokenness and the rebellion that David committed in this situation with Bathsheba. He says, I know my transgressions. He's painfully aware of his sin. It's like, it's like saying, I, I can't, ever since I was confronted with this, I just can't get away from it. I tried everything. And you think of the story, yeah, can you go further than that? Where you have someone killed and you risk the lives of your, your whole army to cover up your sin. He did everything humanly possible to make sure this just becomes a blip on the radar and we can move on and I can continue in the passions of my flesh. But the Spirit of God spoke to him and his heart was broken. We call this conviction. Conviction is realizing the severity of our sin. Or maybe said a maybe a more poignant way. Conviction is the pain of realizing our sin. It's such a gift from God. Conviction is such a gift. Just like in our fallen world, pain is a gift. I know we don't like pain. And we take Pills for pain to kind of cover up pain, don't we? Because we don't want to walk around with pain. But you know, we talk to, go down to um, South Alabama where there's a, a, a village or a medical community for those struggling with modern day leprosy. A disease that kills the nerve endings so you can't feel pain. And some would think, wow, I, I could use that. My life, maybe right about here or here or here, right? But actually in our fallen world, pain can be a gift because if you don't know your hand's on a hot stove, what happens? 
And that's one of the difficulties of modern-day leprosy is you, you don't know that you've just injured your hand. And then the deep infection sets in and, and, and then problems come. Pain can be a gift. Pain is a gift of the heart, is a gift from God because that can prompt us to restoration. One theologian or, or uh, David, so David says this about his conviction. He says, conviction of sin, I realize that it is against you and against you only that I've sinned. So his conviction comes to this place where he says, as I think about it and I realize how deep this issue is, I've sinned against you only. Now that can feel odd and wrong because he sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah, her husband, and against the soldiers. He sinned against his nation. So this phrase from David isn't minimizing that. He's saying, I'm going to the core of it. Because at the core, I've sinned against my creator. It's one thing to sin against someone, but when I sin against the greatest someone, that's an issue. One theologian put it like this. He says, all wrong done to our neighbor is wrong done to one created in the image of God. Sinning against others is taking the part of Satan against God. Right? Because that's what Satan wants to do. Satan wants to hurt God. He knows he can't. So he goes after the image bearers of God. If he can hurt you, you are the closest thing to God that he can affect. So his, his attempt is to uh, destroy us as people. When we hurt people, we're siding with Satan. And we're being part of the ministry that Satan is set to accomplish. All wounding of another, whether in body or soul, is a sin against the goodness of God. So David experiences this displeasure of God, the destruction of closeness with his creator, and it was destroying him. So what does he do when he feels that conviction? He throws himself at the mercy of God, which is the best thing to do when you begin to realize how far from God we are is to throw yourself at his mercy. He refused to justify himself. He did that for a while. He said, well, I'm king. I should have what I want, and he shouldn't because he's not king, so just take him out. The world won't even notice. He stopped justifying himself and blaming others, and he takes responsibility. He owns his sin. He admits it to God. We call this confession. The word confess means to agree with. It's a statement that agrees with someone. So I confess my sin to God. I'm agreeing with God on the severity of my sin. And as we read the poem, we see that this was shining the light on the core of David's being. David says, the place where I've closed the door so nobody can look at. In fact, I don't even want to look at it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything I can to shut the door of my life and go on pretending nothing bad happened. I've married the woman. She has a child. We're going to be, live as a happy family. I'll shut the door of that. We won't have to deal with that. But God came knocking and said, no, this, this is part of your life that we need to look at. And David refused to acknowledge it until he had conviction. And as he was convicted, he confessed his sin. And that confession is opening the door to that darkness. It's giving God permission to now, in fact, he says, 
Um, teach me wisdom in the secret heart, in that place that I've been protecting. I won't even want to look at. I'm going to pretend it's not there. He says, God, teach me wisdom in those secret places, those dark places. We went camping this, for a couple days this past week. And uh, we took our dog, Russell, loves to go with us wherever we go. And so, of course, and dogs on the leash, right? And if you ever have a dog on the leash, it gets tangled into everything, right? And so, so we, you know, we have a pop-up camper, so we, I, I lined up the coolers and things so he wouldn't keep going under and getting tangled or whatever. And that was fine. Didn't work, but it was fine. Went to bed, middle of the night. Dog wants to go out. There's three other people in that camper. <laughs> but apparently it's my job to take the dog out. Mm-hmm. So I, I go out and I put the, put the dog in the leash and he wanders around. Then he starts sniffing at that wall that I created. And then he gets excited and pushes through there and gets in there thinking, oh no, what is that? And then you kinda, he kind of snorts like, uh-oh, he's found something. He, and then he's yanking on the, the chain, right? So I thought, oh. And so I got these visions of a skunk, right? He just got skunked a week before. So I thought, oh, no, not again. And how can you deal with that when you're camping? Oh, no. And maybe it's a coon. So I can just imagine just pulling that apart. And as soon as I do, the thing leaps at me, grabs me, and drags me to the river and drowns me, right? Like, oh, no, what am I going to do? So I, I went to the picnic table where a lantern was, and I turned that on. I shine the light in there, and I see Russell. He found his dog food, and he's just eating his dog food. We forgot to feed him all day. We're camping, right? <laughs> he finally finds his food. It's like, oh, okay. What did light do? Light shined into the darkness so we could see what's truly there. David says, that's what I'm asking you, God, to do, to go into the dark places of my heart because I'm realizing I am desperately sinful. What do we do? Well, we tend to say, yeah, I messed up. I, you know, it was, it was a moment of, you know, bad thinking. I'm not that bad. I'm not like a sinner. I just, I messed up. And then healing and cleansing just doesn't come. But when we can take that posture of David to say, I, I have sinned against you and it's evil and it's, it's transgressions and it's my sin is ever before you. I just can't hide it from you. We're in that place where God can deeply cleanse and restore. So that's how he begins. David begins by owning and admitting his wrong. But it doesn't stay there. I mean, imagine living in that condition where you just continued to mourn over your brokenness. That's not what God intends. Verse 7, let's look at the next stanza, and we see that David is pleading for inner transformation. He pleads for this inner cleansing Verse 7 says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So David, convicted of his sin, confesses its reality and then he cries out for transformation, for cleansing. That stanza begins with a phrase, purge me with hyssop. That's not a phrase we use. I doubt you've used that. If you have used that with your family or whatever, I encourage you to find some other type of conversation. Purge me with hyssop. What in the world does that mean? Hyssop is a, it's a bundle of, of branches of the hyssop plant that was tied together and would work kind of as a paintbrush that was, that was used in the temple sacrificial system. The priests would, would take the blood of a sacrificed animal and they would dip this hyssop into that blood and then sprinkle places in the temple for, for cleansing. It would picture the cleansing of the innocent one who had died on behalf of the guilty. Here's an interesting thing. I found it interesting that in that purification system, we talked about lepers, right? So here's a leper, and, and if you know biblical history and stories, you know that leprosy was that disease that was, caused people to be unclean. They were cast out of the city, out of the camp. They couldn't live with their families because of this contagious disease, worse than COVID. And, uh, and the, if, if a person became healed if he ended up having a temporary form of this leprosy or he was some, somehow healed, he would go show himself to the priest who would, who would examine and ensure that, yes, this person does seem healed. And then there would be the ceremonial purification that would take place, that the priest would take the hyssop, dip it in the blood of the innocent animal and sprinkle the leper, illustrating cleansing that leper could then return to his family. He could then return to the temple fully free to worship. So when David says, I sinned against you, it's always before you, and I cry out for mercy, I cry out for cleansing, purge me with hyssop, he wasn't saying, I'm going to the priest and he can help me. He wasn't saying that. He's going right to the top. He was saying, God, you are the only one that can cleanse me. So I'm coming to you for that purging and that hyssop and the anointing of your cleansing power. Recognizing that there's not a person on this earth that has the ability to cleanse and forgive us of sin. That only God has that power. But even in those words, he recognizes that there is that innocent that has to die for the guilty. So the payment has to be made. David wouldn't have fully understood that God would send his son who would die on the cross and shed his blood for the payment and ransom for sin. He wouldn't have fully understood that. But apparently he understood the innocent dying for the guilty and only God bestowing that cleansing on those that turn to him in faith. So some have said, so David looked by faith, not even understanding perfectly, but he understood by faith that God would redeem and God would atone. So he went to God for that. Like we, 
You've never seen the cross. You've never, never personally witnessed it, but you by faith look back to the cross believing that God sent His Son. God has given us such a full understanding of how He can atone for our sin. Jesus, the innocent, dying for us, the guilty. So the only reasonable and right response to conviction of sin is to come to God for our cleansing. Not to justify it or blame others. It's my parents' fault or if my wife hadn't done that. No, only God can cleanse us when we confess our sin. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that says that God has made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might be made righteous or clean or renewed. Everything that we see in this stanza from David as he writes, restore to me, blot out my iniquities, create a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And here's the cool thing. This is what's so cool about this. When our conviction leads us to confession and we turn to God for our transformation, it takes us from despair to joy. It takes us from realizing our brokenness to recognizing and embracing our healing and our full restoration to newness. That's, and, and you know that, those of you that are married and that have gone through some difficult times, I hope you have gone through some difficult times. In fact, when Nancy and I have done some marriage counseling, premarital counseling, um, you know, we, one of the questions we ask to these engaged couples, have you ever guys, have you had any good fights? And when couples say, no, we just agree all the time. I think, oh boy, let's wait on this for a bit. We, we got to get you fighting, right? Why is that? Well, conflict is good, right? We become better when we have healthy conflict. But those of you that know when, when you've wronged someone close to you in your life and you get to that point where you recognize what you've done and you've sought forgiveness, you've owned what you've done, you've asked for forgiveness, that for person has given you that forgiveness and now you've been made new, you know how fun that is. In fact, some married couples have said, yeah, we really enjoy the making up part. Why is that? Because you realize how new your intimacy is with one another. Now, the way we resolve conflict so often today is, okay, well, I just need some time to calm down. And so we walk away, and then we come back together. Okay, I can tolerate you now. And then we go on. Oh, where's the joy in that? And why do we fight so hard against admitting we're wrong? Because when you do, it opens the door to deeper closeness together. And as I said at the beginning, that, that human relationship and restoration is a shadow or picture of that relationship with God. Why do we so often try to admit to God that we're really pretty good? We don't want to admit to God that we've fallen. Why do we neglect the discipline of confession? 
Because when we do and we experience this cleansing, God says, now you know me even more because you know even more deeply how graceful and merciful I am and that intimacy increases. Now, maybe if you're, there, there's, there's some denomination, the Catholic denomination has a time of confession, right? We go to the priests and such things. The Protestant, non-denominational camps of Christianity, we don't, we don't have that type of thing. And so, so sometimes we, we think, so confession, that's not something we do here, is it? Isn't that what we do at home? But do you realize we did that today? Do you realize those songs that we sang that you admitted in song that we are sinners, that we are broken, but God has sent his son to redeem and restore us? And that's why you sang so loud at the end because of all that we proclaimed at the beginning. That you confess to one another, I'm broken, I'm sinful, but God is merciful and he's forgiven me. That's what's so powerful about amazing grace. Why we keep singing it? It was written how many years ago? Why do we keep singing it? Because amazing grace, how sweet the sound that did what? Saved a wretch like me. So we changed the word, the same to dude like me. It saved a lady like me. No, we can't change that word because that takes the whole depth of it out of it. We sing that we're wretched, but his grace transforms us. So if we ever start just get singing songs that just, just about, you know, we're all that, and we're great, and God is good, and we are too, and we fail to remind ourselves and confess together that actually in and of ourselves we're broken and we're sinful. But because of his love and his mercy, he's saved us and he's transformed us. And now we sing with joy because we're cleansed. That's kind of what baptism is. On the ninth, when some of you are going to walk into the waters of baptism and you're going to say, I'm here because I placed my faith in Jesus, that I realized I was a sinner, but Jesus paid for my sin and I've I've accepted him as my savior. You'll come up out of the water and you'll hear, woo cheers and shouts. People will whistle. They'll clap. Why? Because that's what confession leads to. That's when we embrace that we need a savior and we accept him. The result is kind of like that prodigal son that comes back to the father. He says, I'm worthless. Can I just find a cot in the servant's quarters? And the dad says, you can have a party. Because that's, what happens when you admit how desperately you need a Savior? And we're going to keep reminding ourselves of that. Both we need a Savior and we have a Savior. And he's cleansed us. Our sin is despicable. I can't, I can't keep living there because that's not bringing me closer to God. So I'm going to keep walking away from that towards that renewed heart and to live in the practicality of that restored, restored spirit. Joy comes from cleansing as we confess. I'd like to sing about that. I'd like to sing with that great joy. So worship team, come on up here and help us with this. You sing good and loud so that we can sing loud and nobody will hear us, right? 
And we can just enjoy this reality of celebrating God's salvation. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for how you have offered to us this free gift, Lord. And maybe there's some here that this is all new. Maybe they thought they needed some person on this earth to help them get over their sin. Maybe they didn't even realize that your son paid the price so that cleansing is full. Lord, may they find that joy in you. Maybe there's some here, Lord, that have heard about it, never embraced it, never placed their faith in it. Lord, I pray this will be the day of their salvation. And maybe there's some of us who, maybe we look back to a day of salvation many years ago, but we still struggle with daily stepping into forbidden territory. Whether it's our thought life, whether it's what we look at on our devices, or whether it's an attitude or a critical spirit, whether it's the joy of gossip, whether it's a spirit of judgment towards others, whatever it is, whatever sin, Lord, we struggle with, I pray that we would see it for what it is. And we embrace that truth that whoever confesses his sin, you will be faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May we live in the joy of that confession, the joy of that restoration, Lord. So we put our mind back on what you've done for us so that we can sing with great joy together. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.